This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, October 13th, 2023. And today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster only and working from a hotel here in Bristol, Connecticut. Taylor Schwink is working from the Schwink Studios. Sarah Abbott is recovering from her birthday on Thursday. Uh, Sarah, I must say, like, today is going to be a day. Uh, it feels like a massive celebrations, okay? Because Taylor Schwenk has friends in town. Uh, he's grieving his Orioles. You have your folks in town. Uh, it, it just feels like by the you guys will just be passed out on Saturday morning. What do you think, Sarah? This is such a great day. Well, first of all, the birthday was awesome. And then also the Phillies. I mean, I mean, like, thank Life you. Lifelong Phillies fan for one year. Lifelong Phillies fan of the last year. Right. Taylor? Have we seen any Miles Teller shots in the in the stands yet? I feel like that hasn't happened. Yes. I, oh, we have? I mean, that, yeah, we have seen it during the broadcast. Oh, I haven't. You know, We've been, been there. We got to, you know, and uh, I mean, we have an effort behind the scenes. I'll have to continue that this week. Yeah, yes. yeah. But Taylor, it, it feels like this will be a weekend of grieving for you with the Orioles knocked out. Yeah, it, it'll be some good group therapy, especially two of my buddies. You know, they were in the Orioles group chat. So we got a lot to discuss and, you know, we'll drown our sorrows. And, you know, it'll be a, it'll be a nice little weekend buster. I wish you were here for it. I feel like you'd fit right in. <laughs> well, uh, I would say my my son would fit right in. He's a Braves fan, as we've established on the podcast. Yeah. But I, I, you know, I don't think I would want him imbibing with you and your friends. That's for sure. You know, given the <laughs> fact that he's 19 years old. Yeah, that's right. The Braves last night went into game four of their division series against the Phillies down two games to one. They had Spencer Strider on the mound, and they were under enormous pressure to hold it together. Early in the game, the Phillies were fouling off a bunch of pitches against Strider. They were running up his pitch count a little bit more. They had some traffic on the bases, but Michael Harris made a great play in the bottom of the second. The pitch. Swing and a line drive into center field, sinking and sliding to make the catch is Harris. He'll throw it to second, and they will double off Nick Castellanos. Harris with a brilliant sliding catch to steal a hit from Rojas and a run from the Phillies. It was a legend, Boog Shambi, with that call on ESPN Radio. It did feel like that if the Braves were to survive Game 4 to get it back to Atlanta for a Game 5, they would need to take the lead. And you know what? That happened. You too. Swing and a ball drilled left field. That one towards the corner. This one's got a chance, and that one is gone. It's a home run for Austin Riley as he just got it over the 334 marker and hooked it over the wall. Yeah, Austin Riley having a good series, an amazing home run in game two, the game to end the play, or the uh, play to end the game in game two, and then he hits that home run. But the Phillies would immediately tie the game in the bottom of the fourth. Here's the pitch. Swing and a drive. Left field. That's way back, and that is gone. Nick Castellanos, two homers yesterday, and his blast here in the bottom of the fourth has tied this one up. It is 1-1 as he sprints around the bases. That's right. Spencer Strider's slider was not great. He kept on leaving in the middle of the plate. It was one all still. Bottom of the fifth inning, Trey Turner came to the plate. The pitch to Turner. Swing and a high fly ball. Left field. That one's back on its way and gone. Trey Turner hammers one out. And just like that, the Phillies have the lead. 
So, Sarah, do you take full credit for Trey Turner's rehabilitation? You know, on August 4th, the Phillies fans uh, met a slumping Trey Turner with a standing ovation. Since then, we did these numbers on Baseball Tonight last night, hitting 355 with a 696 slugging percentage, the highest in baseball. So you're taking credit for Trey Turner's performance. I mean, don't call me a hero, you know, like not all heroes. <laughs> so humble. Yeah, just so humble. Oh, my humble. gosh. Well, anyway, it was two to one. <laughs> The Phillies, bottom of the sixth inning, and Nick Castellanos did it again. The one-two. Drilled left field on its way. Gone! In left field, Nick Castellanos. Oh, brother. And it is 3-1. Absolutely hammered. And this place is going crazy. The first player in the history of baseball's postseason to have multi-homers games in back-to-back games. Not Babe Ruth, not Lou Gehrig, not Mickey Mantle, not Reggie Jackson, Nick Castellanos. So the Phillies at that point, they had a 3-1 to lead. In the top of the seventh inning, the Braves rallied, and there was an, a pitch that got away from catcher JT Rio Muto. This is what happened. Kimbrell delivers way outside all the way to the backstop. And now the runner at third, Pilar, doesn't come home. Wall was on his heels and was all the way to third. And now they have to retreat. And the run doesn't score. That's a bad read from Kevin Pilar. That got all the way to the backstop, and it didn't score a run. Yeah, they could have cut the lead to 3-2 there. But uh, as Book said, Kevin Pillar just didn't seem to react well to the ball getting away. Maybe he just didn't see it. As the inning continued, Ronald Acuna Jr., the guy who I think is going to wind up winning the National League MVP, came to the plate with the bases loaded in two outs. Kimbrell kicks, fires. Swing and a fly ball out towards left center field. Well struck. Rojas on the move, reaches out, and he makes the grab. Rojas able to snare that one just up against the wall to the right of the 387 marker. Ronald Acuna Jr. coming within 10 feet of hitting a grand slam that would have given the Braves a 5-3 lead, but the pitch got up on the barrel of his bat just a little bit, and that seemed to prevent him from coming through in that situation. That was a theme in the division series. Ronald Acuna Jr., Matt Olson, who probably finished first and fourth in the NL MVP race. They combined in this series six for 30 with one extra base hit. And, of course, you remember Freddie Freeman, Mookie Betts, one for 21 for the Dodgers in their division series. Those two guys are probably going to finish second and third, Betts second and Freeman third in the National League MVP race. In the top of the eighth inning, a scary moment for the Phillies. Left on left, delivers to Olsen. Swing and a chopper to the right side. Stott has it. Harper scrambles to the base. Throw to first in time. And then Harper and Soto embrace. And I think Harper, oh no, banged that elbow on a minor collision at first base with Olsen as he was late getting back to the bag. Yeah, what happened was Olsen, and it was actually pretty uh, pretty severe contact between the two. Harper got kneed in that elbow. Uh, he was grabbing at his elbow, and I've a trainer, and he walked off up the runway behind the clubhouse. It looked like the Phillies were getting ready to replace him. But you know what? He would come out for the top of the ninth inning when this happened. Everybody's standing. First and third, two down. 3-1 Phillies. The 1-2. 
Check swing. Did he go? Yes, he did. Ball game. And the Phillies have won the series. The Philadelphia Phillies for the second straight year have eliminated the Atlanta Braves, and they're moving on to the National League Championship Series. And the Philadelphia Phillies went absolutely crazy in their clubhouse. Bryce Harper, before that started, spoke with TBS. Bryce, congratulations. You just took out the best team in baseball in the regular season. Why was it so dominant from your perspective? That's a really good team over there. And they played such a great year this year. And I have so much respect for them and the way they go about it. Um, What type of team they are, one through nine, their pitching staff as well. Um, And we just did so good tonight. I mean, coming in here, playing in front of this fan base, there's nothing like it. Home field advantage is real. And, you know, Ranger threw really well. Our bullpen came in, shut the door. Huge two two swings by Castellanos and uh, Trey Turner. And that's why they're here. That's why you spend the money, baby. 11 home runs over the series, six over the last couple of games. How good do you feel about where this offense is right now? Yeah, we're excited, man. We, uh, I think we're all clicking on the same cylinder. We got a couple guys that could do it a little bit more. And, you know, I think uh, we get that going. You know, we're tough to beat. So uh, we just lined up our pitching as well, our one-two ace. Uh, going first game and second game. Arizona's really good as well. They're hot. They're young. Um, they got some pretty good pitching as well, and we're excited for the series. Now, what does it mean to have home field here for the NLCS? There's nothing like it. There's the best fan base in America um, and in the world. I mean, it's unbelievable. Coming in here, it's hard to play in here, and we know that. Um, so we're going to go in and have some fun Monday night. You came back out to first base, but can I got to ask, how's the elbow? I'm good. Just hit my funny bone. Feels better now, I imagine. Yeah, I'm fine. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. So Bryce Harper and the Phillies move on. Here is Spencer Strider standing in the rubble of the Braves' disappointing end of their season. Yeah, and we had a lot of confidence, a lot of belief. Um, you know, we, we left it out there, and obviously, you know, the results are unacceptable and not what we wanted, but... You know, I mean, we were happy with the way we competed. Ryan Sitker, the Braves manager, talked about how tough it is to get over this loss. Tough is that to come to grips with when you did have so many wins? Had, yeah, you know, no, had so it's much hard. I, just, I told him, man, it's, it's, it's tough. I mean, you know, it, it, it takes a while to, to get over something like this after the year we had, the expectation we have um, here. Um, but you know what? It, it's... All the credit, I mean, the Phillies stifled us. I mean, they they pitched really well. They had great plans. Um, their guys got big hits. I mean, you can't take anything away from that. Oh, my God. You know, we, we got beat. Brian Secker was asked about the playoff buy system. Of course, now uh, the Braves being eliminated, the Dodgers being eliminated, the Milwaukee Brewers being eliminated. Uh, in fact, the teams with the five best records in baseball have been knocked out of the playoffs. Here's Brian Snitker. The last few years where teams have had buys, where they've had extended time, baseball being such a game of rhythm, whatever the right amount of teams should be in the playoffs, do you think the system ought to be in such a way that there isn't that much time? No, I'm schedule? not going to say that's the excuse for us because, you know what, I, I, I look at the Astros, didn't bother them. You know, they kind of kept hitting on all cylinders. Yeah, Brian Snicker, he's not making any excuses about this. We're going to talk about the playoff system again with Paul Ambikides coming up here. Here's Trey Turner. I don't think I'd have it any other way than, you know, how it's turned out. And I trust myself, I trust my family to make decisions we made. And um, it's been it's been awesome. It's been fun. This group is, is special. And Here's Phillies manager Rob Thompson talking about Bryce Harper. Yeah, I don't think so. I, you know, 
he went downstairs with with our training staff and and they came up and said he's he's fine um we'll see how he feels tomorrow but i i don't think there's um any concern about structural damage or anything like that it might be a little bit of just a scare you know rob was asked about the postseason playoff format you know, I've, I've never been in that situation, but um, there must be something to it. And there must be something to, you know, the preparation you have to do. I, I think it's got to be tough because I think the Braves did, from what I hear, they had they had inter-squad games and they brought in people into the stands. I think they probably did everything they they could possibly do to um, to keep guys sharp. Um, so it's, it's a tough situation. So I... I, I hope I'm in that situation again. I'd like to win the division, but. You guys see the post-game celebration, all the video of it. I mean, obviously, Rob Thompson, Trey Turner, Bryce Harper, the sound that was captured from them was away from the post-game uh, post, uh, celebration that we had because uh, you could actually hear. That was so raucous. It was so loud. I told you last week, it felt like there was about an inch or two of alcohol on the floor just piled up. It was like. In a, in a lake of, of champagne and beer. And in the midst of that, you had Kyle Schwarber looking over at Bryce Harper like, hey, Bryce Harper, Bryce Harper, you know, boy, Bryce. And Bryce was like making the Acuna gesture back to him, I think, with the fist pump. I don't know if it was Acuna or not, but clearly having a little fun at the Braves' expense. What do you think of all that, Sarah? I think that is well-deserved. Like, I mean, <laughs> have fun, be petty. Yeah, Taylor. Did you see? I don't know who was wearing it, but someone had a shirt that said "Attaboy Bryce" and on the oh, back. Yeah. It said they weren't supposed to hear that, which was just Chef's kiss for the celebration. Yeah, it was. Debbie Gammons Brown uh, texted me a picture of all that, or you know, it was on Instagram or something like that. She had it out there. You know that she's probably already got that T-shirt. All right, uh, the schedule coming up now with the division series finished. The American League Championship Series starts on Sunday with Texas playing in Houston. That starts at 8.15 Eastern time. On Monday, Texas and the Astros will play at 4.37 Eastern time. And then on Monday night, the National League Championship Series will start the Diamondbacks against the Phillies. Now, a couple of other notes with all this talk about the playoff format. Rob Manfred, the baseball commissioner, said it's too early to judge the new format, even after two division winners were swept this postseason and a third struggle offensively before being eliminated. It's only year two, Manfred said. And uh, for your Orioles, Taylor, Mike Elias gave a, sort of a season-ending press conference, and he suggested there's a chance they're going to try to sign their young guys. Bravo. Yeah. I hope that's the case. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah. I, I mean, maybe – Maybe uh, Johnny Angelos, he was like, hey, this winning thing is so much fun. I get so much attention. I'm on TV all the time. Wow. Why don't we do this a little bit longer? And then he probably asked Michael I, so what's your suggestion that we win more? And he's like, well, we should sign these young, exciting players that we have. So, you know, maybe they'll all work something out. Right. That was, for the record, that was Orioles fan Taylor Schwenk, who was calling him Johnny Angelos and, and ripping him. <laughs> that was Orioles fan yep. Taylor Schwenk. Yep. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, new episode of the College Game Day podcast is out now. You can watch it on YouTube. You can listen on your favorite podcast app. They're picking week seven games, nine of them really juicy, meaty slate of college football games, especially that seven o'clock window. If you're watching college football on Saturday, you better have multiple screens out because it could get wacky. So that's the College Game Day podcast with Reese Davis, Pete Thamel, and Stanford Steve. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. 
The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Jumping into the numbers. numbers. This is Himbo Knows on Baseball Tonight. Hembo is Paul and Bikinis, uh, of course, the right-hand man for Mike Greenberg as he prepares every day for Get Up and for his radio show. And Hembo, I know that you have to get up early, probably 4 a.m. to do all the research. Knowing that, be honest here. Did you see the final pitch of the Phillies game last night in beating the Braves? I did. Buster, my baseball team uh... – I get to experience this once in a, a very, clarify, very long time. You're a huge Phillies fan. I should make that very clear. The biggest Phillies fan you know. The Phillies cannot possibly be playing in these games and I not stay up to watch. There are very few time, times in a person's life where one gets to experience the kind of thing that I've gotten to experience this week. And so you have to enjoy it and take advantage of it while you can. Usually, like in the regular season, for example, or perhaps even if the Eagles are playing a regular season game on primetime, you could elect to sleep through it and figure out what happened in the morning. But there is something extremely special about enjoying this experience with all my friends, all the group texts and chats that I'm on, and getting to like sort of this, this thing fill me live the way that it was. And the last couple of games in Philadelphia were just so thrilling, so extraordinary. I didn't have the chance to go to any games this year. I was, at, I was at game three of last year's series against the Braves, which sort of kicked off this whole party. But in the end, obviously, this is as good a time to be as Philly, uh, as Philly fan as any. So I'm, I'm dreary-eyed, but I am um, bushy-tailed buster based upon the, uh, the outcome of the games. All right. Uh, the, I, you know I hate yes-no questions, but I'm going to give you a yes-no question. Will you acquire an Attaboy Harper t-shirt? Yes. Uh, there, there, there are some uh, reports out there that I've uh, already placed an order for one. And uh, there's a, a non-zero <laughs> chance that it will be worn on, tel- on television next week. I'll say this. Um, 
Orlando Arcia will never have to buy another drink in Philadelphia for the rest of his life. He's, he's become my new favorite player in baseball. God bless him. Oh, no, give me your quick thought on that whole controversy. Cause I, I, I thought it was that some of the takes from folks, you know, quote unquote journalists, I, I just make me cover my eyes. Like, are you kidding? I talked about this with Carl yesterday. Clubhouse opens media availability. The players all know, and Alex Cora made mention of this on the podcast yesterday. The players know they have to be careful. That And Orlando Arcia, this is not his first rodeo. He's been around a while. If you're one who takes umbrage with the fact that this leaked, I guess, if, if you even want to use that word, no. you either – it's right. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll use a different word. Got out. Whatever. If, if you're one that takes umbrage with it, you either, A, don't know the, the, the obligation and responsibilities and access of reporters, or B, you don't care to be honest about it. To me, there's no C here. I don't – there's no world in which – these things that happen in that context or are said or are done are off the record. I mean, this is literally people doing their job. Like it's, it is, it is as simple and straightforward as that. The no, like the notion from players or from fans or either from, uh, or even from other journalists that have taken uh, a different line in that sand. Honestly, I'm just scratching my head because like, sometimes like I just ask myself, like, why are we doing this? Why are we just electing? Why are we just willingly being more stupid than we should be? We don't have to be. We're just electing. We're choosing to be. It doesn't make any <laughs> sense in the world to me. So, look, I mean, to me, like, to, to me to even add, like, much more commentary than that would be to give the other side too much credibility. Obviously, if you're not one who understands this, you're, you're either just choosing not to or lying through your teeth. All right. I'm going to add more commentary. Imagine, according to the rules that were laid out by journalists, quote, unquote, the last 48 hours about this is the – you know, the place where the players should feel safe. Can you imagine covering that celebration in the Phillies clubhouse last night? So when they're all yelling at each other and they're pouring beer on each other, does that mean every reporter had to go up to Bryce Harper or to Kyle Schwarber uh, and to Trey Turner? Hey, guys, is that on the record or off the record when you were all screaming at a boy Bryce as you're dumping beer on him? Right. I mean, how stupid <laughs> would that be? The clubhouse is open to reporters in that moment. It's unfathomably stupid. Like, look, you and I are obviously on the same page here. I, 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 this is just a classic case of, in some cases, Braves players, Braves fans, some select media members, just being dishonest, um, being excuse-making by nature. I found, I found it to be very, very unattractive and unsightly, given the fact that the issue here is, is their reaction to it and the performance. And to see Orlando Arcia effectively melt in Philadelphia in the dugout last, last night really tells you all you need to know about the psychological makeup of that team. So before the season began, and you are a Phillies fan, but before the season began, you projected the Braves to be the best team in baseball. Tell me about the Braves now as they go home and, and try to pick up the pieces and begin to look ahead to 2024. So, look, the starters allowed 28 runs and 33 innings against the Phillies. And so obviously you're not going to win many postseason series in which that is the case. But, but to me, Buster, the story here of, of the Braves in the postseason is the failings of the lineup. Uh, this is a club that out-homered their opponent by 120 this year, 95 last year. But in the playoffs over the last two years in that department, it was Phillies 16 and Braves 8, a Braves team that scored 947 runs through it throughout the season, a 40-70 player, a 54-home run player in Matt Olson, And they scratched across eight runs in four games. They put 32 men on base, four of them, Four of them came around to score. And so the, I think the, the, the learn here, for lack of a better term, or the takeaway here is something that I told you each of the last times you gave me the opportunity to speak about the Braves on this podcast, which is to say the best way in baseball to score runs is by out-homering your opponent. That's the most efficient way to put numbers on the scoreboard. 
But what the Braves have demonstrated in each of the last two postseasons, in almost the exact same form and fashion, is that they don't have plan B. They don't have any multiplicity. You can build a 100-win behemoth by having a bunch of 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 home run hitters in your lineup. But when, when the games really matter and when the pitching is at a premium, you have to be able to win with plan B. You have to be able to get up off the mat if you are punched in the face. And now twice the Braves have failed to do that. I think they were outmanaged. I think they uh, performed badly and allowed themselves to slip psychologically in September. I think they'll have a postmortem internally. And I happen to think Alex Antopoulos is a brilliant general manager. And thus, I think he will make some uh, calculated decisions this offseason to make sure that this does not happen in the future. But look, history effectively repeated itself in, in nearly the exact same way. It was almost eerie the way these series uh, were replicated. And you can't help but react to that if you're a Braves fan by feeling helpless because you had the best team both times and neither time were you even close to coming away victorious. You know, an interesting note about all this, uh, the Dodgers were eliminated, of course. They probably have two of the top four MVP candidates. The Braves have two of the top four MVP candidates. I think Acuna's going to go one. I think Betts is going to go two. Freddie Freeman's going to go three. And Olsen's going to go four. Those four guys in the division series were seven for 51 with one extra base hit. I mean, think about that in terms of performance. Just real quick wow. to follow up on the Braves conversation uh, as we move forward. You know, Anthopoulos, I think, clearly is going to pick up the option on Charlie Morton for 2024. But with Kyle Wright out, it feels like this might be a case where he can capitalize on what's perceived to be the Braves' great culture, go and try to find a veteran who wants to, in his uh, latter half of his career, wants to be on a championship team, sign that guy for a year or two. And I don't have anyone in particular in mind, but it feels like they need to do something like that, and they need to upgrade their bullpen. What do you think? Uh, the pitching staff most definitely needs to be addressed. Not only don't they get length out of their starters, but these guys have gotten lit up in the playoffs. But yep. candidly, you should feel good about handing the ball to Spencer Strider. You should feel good about handing the ball to Max Freed. I'll tell you what um, George Steinbrenner would do if he was running if he was running the Braves. He would sign Aaron Nola. <laughs> Aaron Nola, who's yeah. a free agent this offseason, is absolutely somebody that I think a bunch of teams in baseball, will, uh, no, namely the Cardinals, will probably have circled as a potential free agent fit. But I agree with you. Like this, the Braves have a, a culture that, that players uh, flock to. I also wonder if they might really, uh, you know, sort of pursue a, a Corbin Burns type in the trade market or, or someone like that too. There's no question they need to upgrade their pitching staff. I think that's obviously priority number one. And priority number two is to find hitters that can help you manufacture runs if by chance you find yourself in a rock fight and you can't find a way to, to hit homers yourself. And, and, I mean, look at, looking at their lineup, there's only one place you can really do that, right? Which is at left field, left field DH. I mean, they, all the uh, other hot spots are basically locked down. In the, absence of, in the absence of trades, for sure. But, like, when you think about what the Red Sox did uh, in 04 when they traded Omar Garcia-Para and retired right. you know, Doug Lee. Like sometimes it's not just the quality of the player buster. It's, it's the stuff that they're good at, right? And the Braves have, have too many carbon copies of each other, right? The Braves almost have what I would describe as like lineup uh, redundancy. And over the course of 162, you're not going to be able to necessarily parse out the numbers and say like, oh, we're actually much weaker in these areas than our numbers in the aggregate might say. Any team in baseball would sign up to score 947 runs and hit 307 home runs in a season. But that's not the point. Like we're, we, in a tournament, the whole thing is different. In a, in a tournament, the whole thing is different. And those numbers don't really apply much at all. And the Braves over the last two years are a perfect example of, uh, of the kind of team that needs to go back to the drawing board and say, we need to learn how to win multiple ways. Imagine a team in the NFL that 
is, is, is that excels in running in running the football, but on third and long, or if they happen to be trailing by double digits, they can't come back and win because they're off their game script. That's the Braves right now, and they have to find a way to sort of uh, diversify their portfolio, for lack of a better term. All right. Uh, the Phillies move on to play the Arizona Diamondbacks. This feels like a battle between a middleweight and a heavyweight to me. It sure does. I, I think there are, are two keys in the series, the first of which is um, the starting pitching, and, and, and specifically Zach Allen and Merrill Kelly. And, and if you look at it in the aggregate, Zach Gallen and Merrill Kelly outperformed Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola this season by a pretty considerable margin. When you include the playoffs, Gallen and Kelly posted a 3-3-3 ERA combined. For Wheeler and Nola, it was 3-8-9. The Diamondbacks tandem also produced two more war throughout the regular season. So like, I, think the, I think Philadelphia fans, at least in, in my early returns and my text threads, are taking lightly a team that has two excellent starting pitchers, and you and I know as well as anybody that goes a long way in playoff series such as these. The second factor is a massive difference in experience. I asked yeah. the Elias Sports Bureau this morning to tell me, uh, the, the, current, the, the current Diamondbacks roster, their, their DS roster, those players have combined for 156 games of playoff experience. The Phillies have 405, more than three times that much. And that's the kind of thing that I do think will manifest in a best-of-seven series, especially in the environment in Philadelphia in which the, the Diamondbacks are going to have to play at least the first two games. That ultimately is why I give the Phillies the edge here. Not only do I think they clearly have the better roster, um, but they also have the kind of championship medal that you can't really stumble upon. Uh, I've been really impressed with Arizona so far, but I think they're meeting a buzzsaw in the Phillies. I'll say Phillies in six. I don't disrespect this opponent, but I think if they don't win practically every game that Gallon and Kelly start, I, I don't see much of a path for them to be able to, to spring the upset. Yeah, I got Phillies in five. Uh, okay. In the American League Championship Series, you have Dusty Baker, 74 years old, against Bruce Bochy, 68 years old, managing against each other. You and I both know there will be no pitching scripts, Hembo, in this series. What do you got? So I have three questions actually written down in terms of what I think will determine the outcome. So the first question is, will Texas pitch to Jordan Alvarez? This guy's got six, six homers in the sixth inning or later over the last two postseasons, wow. he's David Ortiz. He's David Ortiz. Is, yes. that, is that Texas bullpen going to give it up? Uh, secondly, can the Houston pitching staff contend with the length, contend with the depth of the Rangers lineup? When you include the playoffs, this is their, their OPS ranks when you go through the order in thirds. The top third of their order, they rank third. The middle third, they rank second. And the bottom third, they rank third. There are no breaks. When you, when you can roll out low and young and Taveras in the bottom third of your lineup, most teams would take those guys strewn out across whatever portion of the lineup you're in. That's why they score so many runs, is that they're relentless one through nine. And the third question, I think, is the most obvious one. Will Max Scherzer be a factor at all? Obviously, they moved heaven and earth um, to get him. They've only gotten 45 innings from him since Texas acquired him uh, midseason. And despite some you know, memorable hiccups in the playoffs, he was brilliant in 2019. He was brilliant in 2021. I don't see a clear and obvious way in which Texas wins this series if Max Scherzer doesn't contribute to that cause. What say you? In texting with sources last night, he is in play. He threw 60 pitches in a simulated game a few days ago. He felt good yesterday, apparently, which, as you know, is a really good sign. He could probably throw one more time, and then they'll make a decision whether or not he, John Gray, will start uh, games three and four. All right, last one for you. Uh, the playoff format. I talked with Alex Core about this in the podcast yesterday. He did say he wouldn't mind a reseeding after the first round as you move forward. Uh, but I, I got to say, the whining about this drives me crazy because this is like the NCAA tournament to me. You play a short series in, in baseball, you're going to wind up with upsets. That's what happened. People forget 
The Washington Nationals sort of won a championship like that in 2019. In 2011, the Cardinals were hardly the top seed. The Atlanta Braves of 2021, all the Braves fans, including my son, complaining now. I'm like, dude, your team wouldn't have advanced without this, uh, without the nature of baseball's playoffs. What say you? I'm going to attack this unemotionally, Buster. I'm going to attack this with data. So here's what I looked up. I looked up the percentage of time that the team with the better record wins in the playoffs across the four major sports. In the NBA, it happens 75% of the time. In the NFL, it happens 66% of the time. In hockey, it happens 64% of the time. And in baseball, dating to 1903, it only happens 54% of the time. In other words, this has been an issue, if you even want to call it that, an issue in air quotes, for 120 years. In other words, if you're electing to complain about this, you're complaining about baseball. You're not complaining about anything else. You're just saying, like, this is a problem in baseball, whereas in reality, this is baseball. The nature of baseball lends itself to randomness and chance, and that's what makes it so beautiful. And it has been the case for as long as we have been playing postseason games, which is more than a century. And so I think we can have a good faith argument about whether or not baseball determines its champion the right way. But so long as a speed limit is 55, you have to go less than 65, otherwise you're going to get a ticket. When you're, in, when you're in court, you can't say, well, the speed limit should be 65. No, you're going to pay the fine. Maybe someday we can find the perfect format for Major League Baseball's postseason. For as long as we have this one, this is what you live with. It's, on the, resp- it's the responsibility of the managers and the players to prepare themselves for it. And this has, like I said, to, re- to reiterate one, one more time, come all the way back around. This has always been a thing in baseball. So if you think you're, compl- uh, you're complaining about something new and novel, Take a hike. This has been happening since the beginning of time. My son, the Braves fan, suggested to me yesterday that the team with the higher seed should get awarded one victory. And I was like, what? In the NFL, like in the Super Bowl, you're going to give the higher seed 10 points to start a game? Like, no way. That's not going to work. Hembo, thanks for doing this. Later, friends. Get out of here, Hembo. Sick of Hembo. This is the numbers game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter producer for MLB.com. Sarah, have you recovered from the champagne celebration last night? I was saying on on Baseball Tonight last night, I think there probably were two inches of champagne and beer on the floor of that Phillies clubhouse. I know. I saw some videos on Twitter that reporters were putting saying, why did they even carpet these clubhouses? I mean was really something but what a celebration they've had each time that they've clenched this uh postseason. Well and I, I don't know this for a fact, but I'd be willing to bet knowing Kyle Schwarber, knowing Nick Castellanos a little bit, knowing Bryce Harper, that those clubhouse guys who have to clean that up today, they're gonna be very well compensated for their hard work in that. Let me ask you a question. If somebody sent you an Attaboy Harper T shirt, would you wear that? Oh my gosh. I mean, I don't root for teams, so I wouldn't wear it in public or the game, but you know, <laughs> around the house, why not? I mean, I saw that they had them already in the celebration, and I mean, that's baseball, right? And that's worth this day and age. I mean, the t shirts get made so fast anytime anything happens. So it was really, really fun to see that already in there. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is 14. We'll go with that. So this year and last year, the Phillies had 14 fewer regular season wins 
than the Braves and still knock them off in the playoffs. We talked yesterday about the largest regular season wins upsets in the postseason. This isn't in that top five, top six, just right after that. And so there's a big tie of 14. I'm not going to read you all of those. But the really interesting thing about this is the Phillies are now the first team in postseason history to defeat the same opponent multiple times in the postseason in series where they had at least 10 fewer regular season wins than that opponent. That's to do it twice at any point in postseason history, and they've done it in multiple years in a row. So that just shows you that we never know in the postseason, but it's really fascinating to see that back-to-back on this list. Number two. Number two is two for Nick Castellanos. I mean, we have to talk about the fact that he hit two runs, becoming the first player in postseason history with back-to-back multi-homer games. This was one of those moments where the second he made contact, I looked it up, and I'm staring at baseball reference, staring at the search, the type of search I've done a million times, knowing I've done it correctly, and saying, wow, is that really true? That there are no results? That he is the first guy to do this? It was absolutely incredible. I love the celebration with his son, Liam. I mean, their relationship is so wonderful. And his son's reaction to the second home run was incredible. And he is just the fifth guy to have two multi-homer games in a single postseason at all. Obviously, first guy back-to-back. But the only other guys to even have to or Jason Worth in 09, Chase Utley in 09, Trey Gloss in 02, and Willie Aikens in 1980. And of those, only Utley and Aikens also did it in a single series, the way Cassianos did. Number one. Number one is 204. That is how many times Dusty Baker and Bruce Bochy have faced off in regular season games and are in this postseason series. This is only the second time in postseason history that we will have a series between managers who have faced off at least 200 times in the regular season. And of course, the other also involved Dusty with that 2021 LDS between the White Sox and the Astros with Tony LaRusa and Dusty Baker. Went face off 208 times and ran that. But it's just incredible to think about both of these managers facing each other. I don't know if my heart can handle this series, honestly. <laughs> I'm very excited. I hope it's very well fought. I hope it goes seven. But the moment it became clear it might happen, which was honestly game three, between the Twins and the Astros, I started thinking, like, what are we going to do with the fact that one of these guys has to lose to the other? All right. Uh, and I don't know if you saw the quote from Bruce Bochier when he was he sort of wryly said out loud, yeah, but Dusty was a better hitter than me. Yeah. Uh, and Dusty with almost 2,000 hits in his career, and he was an all-star. But I would say this, you know what Bruce Bochy's career batting average is in the World Series, Yes. 1,000, 
1,000. In the World Series, they played the Padres against the Tigers. They're getting whipped. And Dick Williams gave Boach a chance to hit in the World Series in the last game, and he got a single. So he batted 1,000 in his World Series history. And another piece of trivia for you, too. You mentioned Willie Akins, okay, uh, who uh, – it's cool. I haven't heard his name in a long time. Uh, but big, powerful, hitting first baseman, six foot three, two hundred twenty-five pounds. Willie Akins. Do you know what his middle name was? His legal middle name. Mays. I'm guessing. You got it, Willie Mays Akins. How cool is that? <laughs> I love that. And you know, we've been talking about birthdays all week. He's one of the three guys to homer on his birthday in the postseason. One of those multi-homer games I was referring to was on his birthday in the 1980 World Series. And Willie Akins, and I just saw this, he was born October 14th, 1954, which means that he probably was within, what, 10 days of the historic catch that Willie Mays, in the 19, uh, Willie Mays made in the 1954 World Series. That's, that's pretty cool. I, I didn't realize that, that it was that close to that play. Maybe that was you know, part of the inspiration. Uh, you'll have to ask your mom about that. Maybe she has some intel, you know, the, the, uh, the longtime Giants fan. All right, Sarah, thanks for doing this. We will talk to you Monday. Thanks so much for having me, Lester. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus chews. They're the one and done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America or all around the world. Uh, or you can go to his website, toddradom.com. Todd, how you doing this morning? I'm guessing you probably already have an attaboy uh, you know, Bryce Harper t-shirt. <laughs> it's bright and sunny here in Philadelphia and the town is painted red buster. Nice. Well, and would that be something you would be looking to acquire that particular t-shirt or are you, you know, you're more of an artifact person? Uh, I mean, I've got a lot of t-shirts, but, uh, no, <laughs> I, it wouldn't. No, no. It, I, I have a feeling that, that, it's kind of a cute moment in time, but it would be like buying a fake Red Sox beard in 2013. Uh, you'd be happy about your purchase for uh, a week or two, and then it would be in the back of a drawer, and you just have more stuff. Who needs more stuff, Buster? Yeah, it was interesting. I had Alex Core on the podcast yesterday, and he made references to things that happened in 2007, uh, the, and the last time they made the playoffs, I had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> it wasn't until after it was over that I looked up 
what he's referring to. He's talked about sending a, a, a signed bottle of champagne over to the Rockies saying, thank you for throwing out that incendiary quote. And I had no idea what he was referring to because, uh, you know, that was 16 years ago. Yeah. All right. Let's get to this week's Forgotten Field. All right, Buster. The Texas Rangers' current home is a $1.2 billion, $1.8 million square foot monster. Globe Life Field features a retractable roof that spans five and a half acres and weighs 24 million pounds. The stadium features numerous premium clubs and suites and is kept cool by a vast air conditioning system that is distributed via 26 miles of hydronic piping. But before any of this, there was Arlington Stadium, the club's first home, which was decidedly less luxe. Originally called Turnpike Stadium, it made its debut in 1965 as the home of the minor league Dallas-Fort Worth Spurs. Beginning with only 10,500 seats, the ballpark was constructed with a future major league team in mind, and the Rangers wound up playing there for their first 22 seasons. The ballpark never hosted a postseason game or an all-star game, and it is probably best remembered for the heat. Throughout its history, it was the hottest stadium in MLB, and I can remember a late June game there when I think I almost melted Buster. Arlington Stadium was built in a natural bowl because the playing surface was 40 feet below the surrounding landscape Minimal excavation was needed. The ballpark's one and a half million dollar construction cost was said to have been one-tenth the cost of a comparable facility elsewhere. When the Washington Senators were ready to move to the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex in 1972, Arlington was ready. The newly christened Rangers, managed by the legendary Ted Williams, began play at the newly renamed Arlington Stadium, which had been expanded to 35,000 seats which now included the largest bleacher section in all of baseball, endless rows of aluminum benches that extended beyond both foul poles, forming a nearly complete semicircle. A new scoreboard was constructed, and it included a gigantic section in the shape of Texas in left center field. It's been said that the only favorable feature of Arlington Stadium was the quality of the field there. It was consistently rated as the best playing surface in the American League by many players. Arlington Stadium didn't host too many historic moments, but California Angels pitcher Bobby Witt pitched a perfect game against the Rangers there in 1984, and Texas legend Nolan Ryan threw the seventh and final no-hitter of his career there in 1991. Arlington Stadium is also remembered as the birthplace of ballpark nachos buster. In 1976, concessionaire Frank Liberto, uh, seeking to keep his lines moving, Hatched the idea of heating up cans of cheese sauce, ladling it over chips, and then sprinkling jalapenos on top. A seminal moment in the history of ballpark cuisine. Just how revolutionary was this? One article in one Texas newspaper said, and I quote, The biggest surprise in the way of food is that you could buy nachos. Whoever heard of selling nachos at a baseball game? Revolutionary. A series of expansions and renovations brought Arlington Stadium's seating capacity up to 43,000 seats, but amenities were still few and far between. And by the late 90s, or excuse me, the late 80s, the club began to look at other options. The Rangers were hampered by the fact that low-priced bleacher seats accounted for almost half the ballpark, which helped contribute to the club's status as 13th in the 14-team American League in terms of revenue. Despite rumors that the team might be seeking a new ballpark in Dallas 20 miles plus to the east, Arlington offered up a lot of land 
for a new stadium and plans to build a new facility were formalized in 1990 under the ownership of future President George W. Bush. The ballpark in Arlington, which was later named Globe Life Park in Arlington, opened in 1994. It served as home to the Rangers for 26 seasons, but today we doff our 10-gallon hats and pay tribute to sizzling hot Arlington Stadium, which is this week's Forgotten Field. All right. I never went to the old ballpark in my time uh, covering baseball. I cannot, the way you described it, it's like it's sitting in a bowl. And you know that because of that, the air didn't move, right? With aluminum bleacher seats. I mean, you might as well put human beings on frying pans with the way that worked out down in Texas. Yes? Buster, I'm going to say that, you know, the theme throughout this, this whole thing all season long is, listen, good, bad, ugly ballparks contain memories and memories are important to all of us individually. And I'm going to say that I went to a lot of less than good ballparks in those years and Arlington Stadium could well have been the worst. There were no nothing in the way of amenities, just surrounding by parking lots, um, aluminum bleachers relentless heat, not a whole lot of charm, a lot of memories. Um, but yeah, best left, best left, uh, in the, in the dirt, one and a half million dollars to construct the thing. Can you imagine what are we talking now about renovating Baltimore or renovating Milwaukee or Arizona for billion dollars or whatever the price tag is. Yeah. And I'm imagining the restrooms are probably one massive cattle trough. (laughs) Right. <laughs> I don't remember there, but I will say this. Like I said, I went to a game in uh, on a June night where it was in the 90s with just that relentless east northeast Texas humidity. And uh, Buster, I'm just going to say it. I remember I had about 10 beers and didn't feel a thing because it just went right through me. Sweated oh. it right out. All right. Let's get to this week's quiz. I've already clinched the title. Sarah, that's bad news for you, but you can try to finish respectable second. All right, so here we go. Week 31, folks. This was the Texas Rangers' first ever mascot. Introduced in 1979, was it A, a Yosemite Sam-type character named Rootin' Tootin' Ranger? Was it B, a horned lizard named Alamo Al? Was it C, a longhorn steer named Texas Ted? Or was it D, a sheriff's badge slash starfish named Lone Star? First Texas Rangers mascot, introduced in 1979. A Yosemite Sam character named Rootin' Tootin' Ranger, a horned lizard named Alamo Al, a longhorn steer named Texas Ted, or a sheriff's badge slash starfish named Lone Star. Okay. Uh, Sarah, you want to take the first shot at this one? Sure. I'm going to go D. Why not? Yeah, that's what I'm doing, too. I'm going D, figuring that it's the Rangers, and uh, for what I've done, I really don't mean to rip the people back then, but a lack of imagination. You knew they were going to keep everything close together. Taylor, what else you got? I'm going to go A, just so I can say the words rootin' tootin' on the podcast today. (laughs) Taylor! Congratulations, Taylor! Yes, it was a Yosemite Sam-type character named Rootin' Tootin' Ranger, and this this mascot was short-lived. And uh, what happened of was, of course, it was. Yeah, they, they, they. Newspaper account said they quote unquote traded him to Atlanta for a bag of peanuts. And this is when Jimmy <laughs> Carter was president. So you get. I thought the whole it might thing. be in keeping with your theme. It might be for nachos, right? Uh, you're right up. We've eaten nachos together in the very recent past, so it would be appropriate <laughs> somehow. 
There you go. All right, Taylor, way to go. Is that your first win since before the All-Star break? I'm trying to remember. Buster, oh. you shove it in your cornhole over there. I've had enough of you. I'm out of here. <laughs> All right, Todd. Thanks for doing this. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Bleacher Tweets. Already, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Friday. Andrew DeSalvo at DeSalvotion writes in, if Major League Baseball wanted to institute the safety base at first base to reduce the likelihood of collisions happening at first base, can they unilaterally enact that change to the playing field, or does it have to be collectively bargained? The time has come. I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, I would say that my there's a part of me that my instinct is, is that generally speaking, that folks in baseball would look at that uh, you know, the, that big, awkward base, which would essentially become very a large rectangle in that area is not aesthetically pleasing with the base actually contained within the diamond. But I right. feel like get over it. You know, <laughs> they put in all these rules to protect players, you know, the, the catcher collision rules, the rules about slides into second base. It's the first baseman now who are not protected as much. And we just every time you see a collision between a base runner and, and a first baseman, then it feels like they could do a better job of protecting the first baseman. I do think that would be a good idea. I'll, I'll see if I can send out some texts and find out if that's something that baseball can just implement. Buster, he'll solve any crime by dinner time. Senior B writes in uh, two years into the new playoffs, and each year only one division winner made the LCS, the Astros. Maybe go back to the way the wild card was first set up and don't let division foes face off in the DS. Thoughts? And he has a follow-up question here. What are the Astros doing right that the other teams uh, can't with rest and are uh, yeah that the, that the Astros are doing they'll only make the to break through the L- LCS. Yeah, thank goodness the Astros have advanced. I mean, because they at least break into the narrative a little bit more about the playoff format. I've whined about the playoff format the last couple of days. I'll let you guys each chime in what you'd like to see, Taylor. I don't know, man. I I, I see a lot of people clamoring for the one game playoff, and I really while those games are exciting, I, I just feel like these short series don't fit into the context of the rest of the sport. Even a five-game series. Dolly's whining. She agrees with me. She hates these ideas. She totally agrees with me. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know what the fix is, but I don't think it's going backwards to the one-game wild cards. Yeah, I feel like that's really intense. That's like a sudden death game in that. I don't know. There's just too many variables. I agree, I think. That's yeah, not. I thought Hembo's numbers are great. That's yeah. baseball. Uh-huh. This yeah. is baseball. We were talking about, uh, with Sarah, we were talking about Willie Mays, that incredible catch in the 1954 World Series. The Giants went into that World Series based on regular season performance as massive underdogs. Cleveland won 111 and 43. And guess what? The, you know, the Giants went through that and they swept Cleveland in that World Series. I, I think I referenced yesterday the 1988 Dodgers, really the last team that I rooted for as a fan. They were clearly, from the regular season, the fourth best of those four teams. And then with Oral Hershiser, Kirk Gibson's magical home run, they win the World Series. They won the World Series. That's just the nature of the sport. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of people get hung up on, like, baseball doesn't always crown the best team. Yeah, I know. It bothers Dolly, too. But uh, And so I think that's where people are coming from here. So I understand (laughs) that. But, again, you're right. That's baseball. What are you going to do? Uh, let's go to Paul S. Sports Paul writes in 100 win teams. A lot of people writing in about this are three and yeah. six in the postseason in the two years 
Oh my God, I'm going to kill her. I'm going to, I got to edit that out. <laughs> She's ready to start the weekend grieving for the Orioles. Oh my God, Dolly, stop. Uh, Paul's writing in hundred win teams are three and six in the postseason series in two years of the new playoff format compared to 16 and 10 in the old. Has Major League Baseball joined the rest of North American sports where the regular season is meaningless? As long as you just make it into the playoffs, Noah follows, follows it up. This postseason is just teaching us what last postseason taught us. Just get in. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, that's you just want to get into the look at the Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks are five and zero. Oh. Who would have guessed an eighty-four win team would be in the League Championship Series? It's fun. I'm happy for yes. the Snakes. Right? It's George Mason. Yeah. You know, the Diamondbacks are George Mason of Major League Baseball right now. Paul W. Let's just we've beat this topic to death. Let's go to Matthew Porto, thirty-year-old Mulberry. He writes an incredulous, heartbroken Dodgers fan over here. Do you think Dave Roberts' job is in danger? He can't be blamed for Betts and Freeman suddenly disappearing, but something has to change, right? Matthew, I'm gonna you know not only Betts and Freeman in this series. Think about what we talked about for the last month of the year. Will the Dodgers have enough pitching to get through the postseason? And they're starting pitching to get through the postseason. They're starting pitching because of injuries, because of Arias' suspension, uh, or uh, I guess restricted list status, the investigation going on with them. The starting pitching in three games against the Diamondbacks, four and a third innings, and 13 runs. That is not Dave Roberts' fault that Clayton Kershaw and Bobby Miller and Lance Lynn stunk. I, I mean, yep. that's just. That's just not his fault, and I don't, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's social media, but there's always this reaction like, fire the coach. Sometimes it's not the coach's fault. Sometimes the players don't just don't play well. He also won a World Series like three years ago, so right. <laughs> I can't imagine them getting rid of their World Series winning manager. That's just probably not going to happen anytime soon. All right, that's, that's Bleacher exactly Tweets. Right. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter while there are, well, oh no, I'm sorry. There's games on Sunday. So, you know, at, during the game, after the game, before the game, you know, if you have something evergreen, but thanks for writing in everyone. All right. That's it for today. That's it for this week. Uh, my thanks to Hembo, Sarah, Todd, Parker, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. We'll have another podcast, another week of podcasts starting on Monday.